Are you hardcore? Is your name Henry? Then you'll certainly enjoy this anatomy of hardcore Henry. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We have Popcorn Talk's own executive producer, senior... Senior Stephen Lemieux. <laughs> Thank you, Phil, for... Senior citizen, Stephen Amazing Lemieux. intro. Uh, hey guys, I'm Stephen Lemieux. I'm the EP of Popcorn Talk and content developer for the site and network. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen Lemieux, but I'm also behind the Popcorn Talk Twitter, so tweet it uh, at the Popcorn Talk. He literally hides behind it. I hide behind it. It's it's a bulletproof shield. That's right. And uh, if you can tell from the opening intro, we're doing Hardcore Henry, the first person perspective movie that... Uh, that people are raving about. That luckily is not directed by UA Ball. No, you know what? And uh, th- this is, it came out in 2015 in terms of the festival circuit, and now it's finally hit the big screen. Um, and I gotta <laughs> say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, I, I, some people kind of have, I, people have a reservation of why they should perhaps see it. Other people are seeing it for the curiosity. I recommend just see it. Yeah, go see it. This is, this is like a fun time. Like, you just go, like, experience it. You're just like, this is awesome. I feel like if they created an Oculus Rift or a VR version of this film with, like, the seat moving in 4D, you would just, nobody would ever say anything negative about it. It would just be so fun. It would be amazing. I agree. I agree. Uh, The the storyline, you know, unlike most typical movies, it doesn't progress in the way of, like, you know, more stakes and more stakes. You just kind of find out information as you go along. And, you know, there's ultimately an a boss that you have to fight, but it still, it, it still progresses in an interesting way. Yeah, they, they really teed it up in kind of a Bioshock way. Bioshock has characters that you're introduced to, you're sent on quests, and as you develop more information, you kind of discover more things and eventually find out a big twist until you have to fight that big twist and then you're all done. But the way they, the way they really did this with having motivation as the central... As a central story device, I thought was really clever because they're not so on the nose with it. Uh, And, I mean, we'll get into this more in kind of breaking down the story in the writing. But just going from the very first scene of the movie where he's a young kid and having his dad call him the pussy as the motivation. So that's kind of like trying to prove your parents wrong. And then... Going into it, where his the the pussy is the is the uh, is the motivation, and then fear Thanks, is the Steven. motivation. Very and, literal, <laughs> very literal, uh, and then finding out that it's actually just trying to gain the respect of your father as as the last motivation. Once he has his memories back, I don't know. It was it was a cool journey. And through. That's what you actually got out of it by the end. No, All I mean right, when you really enough. when you really think about it, because when that was the problem. And that's what I thought was really interesting, that a lot of people think that there wasn't a story to this movie. But when you pick up, when you look at the scene that uh, Jimmy had recorded, and he's playing the scene on the screen, and it's like, we need something that's more of an emotional motivation for these super soldiers. And uh, Akan's like, the paycheck is their motivation, blah, 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 blah. And then we find out that the entirety of this movie was creating memories for all of the super soldiers to experience so they actually have a background to go on through recording hard recording henry's memories and using his uh his girlfriend using her as the motivation for all these super soldiers i mean i don't know i really liked every time they give you a little bit more information it kind of gives you an epiphany to everything that they've played previously and i thought it was written very well i thought they they kept the dialogue from Henry, of course, there's none of it, but what you perceive and how the story progresses and what you're slowly given to create this full picture, by the end of it, I was really satisfied. I thought that it was well-paced. I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel like, oh my God, why? Like, I didn't feel like I needed to know why Aiken had his powers. That was like the one thing that was like confusing to me, but I was just we'll like, talk about that. yeah, I was just That's- like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in all the way on that. Like, I enjoyed it. Fair enough. I mean, you know, this was this was very much a passion project, and it, it, it spawned in the right ways. And I think, uh, you know, although the people that we'll talk about, you know, are not necessarily household names by any means, certainly not in America, um, a, a lot of love went into it. And they, they are 
all qualified, right? Um, by the way, to give you kind of number one, for those of you joining us first time, as you already might have gotten the hint at it, we talk about all spoilers, so we assume that you've seen the movie. If you haven't, stop right here, come yeah. back, we'll talk, you know, and then rejoin us. If you're returning, welcome back. Um, but so, so speaking of kind of where this movie all came from, right? Uh, he, the, the director, Ilya, he's done music videos for his band in this style, and it garnered a lot of um, a lot of praise, right? So much so that Samuel L. Jackson, Darren Aronofsky, they were tweeting him. I mean, the, the, the fact that one can only dream of that type of hype. Well, when I, um, I think it was like two years ago, I saw the Stampede video. <laughs> I think it, I think it was that one. I'm not not 100 percent sure. There's bad I'm, motherfucker in the Stampede. In the Stampede. <clears throat> but I saw one of them, right? And look up the the band is called Biting Elbows. And I was watching this, and I was just so enthralled with it. It was like pretty. It was pretty intense because you're because from a filmmaker standpoint, you're watching this like. Yeah, they edited this together. I can't even know how many takes it would have taken to fluid movement, get all these shots put together. And it was entertaining. It didn't have any story other than the music playing and the person going through the motions. So the fact that they took that from that and put it in this movie that the main character does not have any lines, that was great. I thought you don't need a main character to have lines. You're putting the person in the position of the main character. Anyone who watches this movie is the main character of the movie. So going through the motions of that, and it's just so well done that this guy really deserved the, the ability to do this. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, even going back to like Deadpool earlier, um, right now there's a huge conversation of like, oh, rated R films, and oh, do we need to give the ability to make rated R films for a good for a good movie. It's like, no, you just need to do what they did in this case, what they did in Deadpool's case. Give the person making it the full creative ability to do whatever they want. Well, sometimes that doesn't always work no, out. yeah, but... but <coughs> I mean, the interesting part is he did, and you can see why, have a lot of, at first, reservation about making this movie. I mean, you know, a, a three-minute music video... Is different than a 90-minute film yeah because music video by its nature like we, we you look at it differently you don't th there's obviously been great music videos that tell a story and illustrate this but you know the the primary vehicle is also just the music um now in this uh, obviously in, in the, by the end of it there's so much music right that's what kind of keeps it going the only quiet times are when we get little bits of information so it functions in that same way but he also didn't want to just do it just to do it um but after it you know, he had a he had a Skype session. Um, he got a Facebook message from Timur Beckmanbeto, um, one of the producers, and you know they they had a whole Skype session. And they, Beck Mambetov. There we go. There you go. And Beckmanbetov. Beckmanbetov. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Phil. Why don't uh, people in the comments section? Why don't you type out <laughs> phonetically how it's supposed to be? There you go. Um, but either way, right? So they had a whole conversation about this, and and really talked about it of how it could actually be done and you know uh timmer really convinced them of like okay it's not just it's just not just a novelty like it would be pretty cool to do this movie and you could do it right um and if you download our rundown uh in the description there, there's a link provided there you'll get the full quote about it i don't you know i mean it's almost like half a page so i don't honestly yeah. verbatim read it but that's the gist of it what what i think is so cool about this and like you go back 30 years, this movie would not have been made because, honestly, they never would have contacted the guy. Then you, <laughs> His you, Facebook, yeah. Yeah, like, you look Facebook. at this, it's like, he Facebook messaged me, and then we Skyped, and then we decided we're going to make a movie. Like, that's pretty awesome. It just goes to show that, like, filmmakers, like, young filmmakers nowadays, I mean, I look back to OK Go, the band. They had the cinematographer, the guy's sister, created the whole music video with the treadmills. And from that, booked so much work, started creating music videos. For, like, It's just amazing to see that if you create content that's clever and you put in the effort and it looks great, you take notice nowadays from people who otherwise would never have seen any of your work. So, I mean, this movie is a, is a precedent to be set for that. Um, I just think it's really cool because... That is, it, it's, it's great that he was hesitant, and I think that's a really strong position to have because a lot of people would have just been like 
a movie? Yeah, let's do it. And then just not really thought about how difficult it would be. Well, you're coming at it from this way. You know, so he's obviously the writer, and some additional writing was provided by Will Stewart. But uh, you look at it, okay, whatever reservations I might have, whatever the questions are that are preventing me from making this movie, let's try to answer them through the writing. And that's that's kind of the perception that you then go into it with, and you start to try to answer. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, overall, they did that. I think they did that overall. I think they, I think it could have done for another rewrite. There's only one part of the movie that threw me off, and I don't know if you agree with me on this. Um, <coughs> again, there's spoilers in this in this review. Uh, at the the club where all the girls are naked and everyone's sexy and all this is going on, and then the two girls, uh, the composer, of course, is one of them. We'll get into that later. Uh, come in and they're got the swords and everything's going on, and then suddenly they're leaving in the car chase. That was where the major disconnect was for me because the story up until that point was like step by step, go here, go here, go here. And then that was just like they say something to Jimmy and then Jimmy's like, all right, we got to do this first and we're going this way. And I'm like, wait, what are we doing? Where are we going? What is like, I don't understand where our destination is from here. So that was the only part of the movie where I was like, what is what is going on? I don't know if you had that problem as well. Uh, You know, I I think at this point. No, I, I didn't necessarily have that. I mean, looking back on it, because everything everything was so structured for Henry. He just he he didn't really make a decision until the very end on his own. He just kind of did what he was told to do, um, almost out of necessity. He didn't really have a choice, and so you know, at that point, like, okay, what, the difference between Jimmy or somebody else telling him where to go and what to do and where to be, it, it didn't make that much of a difference to me. Okay. And you're not, again, as I mentioned, right, you're not necessarily afforded that amount of time to think. They, they, they very specifically choose the moments when you're allowed to actually think about any sort of plot because that's when it finally gets quiet. And it's quiet for, you know, I, I, I didn't time it out, but I would venture to guess 30 seconds and the rest of it is just music blaring and sound effects and just action. Well, I was genuinely curious if you picked up something more from that scene because there's the whole... The, there's the comedy of the women talking and the subtitles just going over each other and just a whole mess of stuff until Jimmy's like, okay! It's yeah. easier to agree than to just argue. I was wondering if there was something in that they were like, we have to go to your lab or something, because that is the destination from that point is we need to get to Jimmy's lab. But I just didn't gather that from the dialogue. I didn't understand what the ladies were pissed at him about and what they wanted from him. So I think the gist of it must have been, we need something from your lab. Not sure. Um, I mean, part of it was, right, I mean, the, the whole fact of the matter was Jimmy was living out through all these very, you know, all the various sins that he could do now he that he... He pissed off a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, they're at a brothel, and so uh, they're kind of like the pseudo, you know, they're the owners of this, and it's almost like he has... This isn't the first time he's done something to, like, <laughs> mess up the brothel, Yeah, it seemed like, so... Um, you know, that kind of played into it. Again, is there a deeper meaning to it? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, did I, it, it took me a little bit to really think about that cause I wasn't prepared to, no, yeah. to think about that. I just That's wish like, there were places like that in, uh, in LA. <laughs> you don't think there's brothels in the world? No, I said in LA. You don't think there's brothels in LA? I don't know. All right. So, well, sorry. Kind I'm of just, took you off, off no, no, no. All good. All good. Um, the, the interesting part too. So. You know, uh, Ilya, he's kind of been, he lived in London for a little bit too, so he speaks both Russian and English fluently, um, you know, even though some, di- so it kind of played nicely because some of the dialogue, as you mentioned in that scene in particular, was Russian, other times it is English, so we get we get a nice mixture of the both, and um, I, I thought this was a fun kind of fact, the whole opening of Brothers Grimsby, have you seen that? I've not seen it. All right. I felt like you did. But uh, is is very much kind of in this style. And they actually did want Ilya to, to direct that portion of the scene, but he was too busy making this movie. So I found that interesting because it, it, it totally matched pretty well. I, I, could have told, I could have sensed that they were both done by the same guy, but apparently not. I'm glad, they, um, glad they, that he did this movie instead. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, and Will Stewart... You know, I couldn't get much more information about him in terms of the writing, but because he's primarily an actor that's taken on small roles, whether in Training Day, Lime Salted uh, Love, um, and he's actually he's over at Harvard um, as a as a law professor. So again, not not a lot of his, 
history on this in terms of this guy. But again, I, I feel like whoever entered this project just had passion for this piece to, to make it make it work, you know? So Yeah, I mean, there's... I feel like a movie like this is not... It's not something that's going to be done by people who are looking for money. It's not pe- not something that's going to be done by people who are looking for the next major IP and the me- next major feature that everyone's just going to be all about. I think this this has to be a passion project. Uh, I mean, and I think that's where the strongest stories come from. I think this could get a sequel. I think this could get different stories within the same world or with the same with different characters of the same position. I think next one will be called Hardcore Harry. I kept wanting to call it Hardcore Harry. Oh, yeah, Harry was the was the was the name everyone kept calling it. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I think I think there's strength in being put in a box. And with this movie, uh, we we talk about it. I think it's in the development side is um, that they didn't have a lot of like you you look at these three hundred million dollar productions like Batman vs Superman and the and you look at what they can do with all the special effects and everything and with a movie where you don't have that budget and you know the investors know it's not going to make that 50 million opening weekend it's not going to make the 25 million opening weekend you really have to think smart about how you're going to film this how you're going to do it so you don't go way over budget and how you're going to make it a good movie without needing that and i think the way that he describes it in all the interviews that you've quoted and that i've watched with Ilya is that he wanted it to be something that people were proud of and Looking at it, you can see that this is something that w- has a personal touch. It's not just oh, let's get let's just churn these out. Let's let's just put out another Assassin's Creed this year. I have to say, I mean, the, the, I I thought the production value was very high, you, you know, and especially like the fact that is <clears throat> that is first person. Yes, and it had a, it had various cuts throughout each sequence, but at the end of the day, <coughs> uh, a lot of it. You know the fact that he's fight every, everywhere you go. He's fa- having to fight multiple people, and it has to be so well coordinated, and orchestrated. Like this person goes here, then he falls. Like all that stuff, that takes a lot of time and, and a lot of effort. And the fact that they were all able to pull it off with the budget that they did, like it, this does to me. If I had to really guess, I you know it, it looks like a seventy-five million dollar movie, which I know it's not. It's not at all. I mean, it looks it looks great. I think. The biggest thing that they had going for them in this film as well is if when you keep seeing these gigantic blockbuster hits, like you look at Mission Impossible and you look at Edge of Tomorrow, everything is so huge because you're from a third person's perspective. You're watching the actor. So if you want what the actor's doing to look cool, you need to have like far back and the actor's jumping off a building and you have to see how huge it is and see that the building is 300 miles tall or whatever you want it to be, or it has to be in space. You have to have the explosions. This... Just the flamethrowers, like, coming at you, like, that has as much impact as a nuke going off in another movie, because it puts you in the seat. It puts you so much closer to it. It's so much larger in your eyes than if you're watching it from the third person. You don't need to be on on a 100-story building for a first person to be doing parkour climbing to look down and feel that you're really high up in the air. You have a sense of danger. Everything is more realistic, and it kind of really help the movie along because they're not having to rely on gimmicks to make you think that everything is high stakes. (laughs) You're in the seat of this person. You're walking through the life of this person who is being attacked, who is being shot at, who's being put in situations that would kill a normal person. Yeah. And that's one of the funny things. So Ilya writes, uh, hopefully none of us are going around picking up weapons and stabbing people. But if we were to do that, this is what it would look like. Well, there's there's a video online that I recommend people watch if they're fans of video games. Uh, somebody made a mod in Grand Theft Auto V that makes it first person. <coughs> Interesting. It's really, really entertaining to watch, and it's really, really entertaining to play because it's just a whole new perspective. And if you enjoyed this movie, you would very much so enjoy doing that. But yeah, I don't know. I think I think the I think the movie fires on all cylinders. To be honest. Well, that's an interesting bit, right? So a lot of, you know, um, th- there's a lot of great articles, I think Vox in particular, that kind of talks about the evolution of video games in the sense that, I mean, I mean uh, in all essence, right, this is uh, Mario. 
right? Where you got to go save the princess, and and that really becomes it. Um, now there's the twist at the end where the princess is not really who she says she is, and that's the 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 foundation of this story. <laughs> but if if you also look at video game culture, right, that very simple stories, and then they've evolved. Where I mean, you know, uh, you, you talked about Batman versus Superman, the movie. All the Batman Arkham uh, video games as of late have such a great storyline. You know, Mark, who's who's engineering us, you know, he likes video games. So, like, and I know you like video games. The stories are very – it's very rich. And so it's interesting how, like, they almost, like, counterbalanced each other and somewhere met in the middle to make this movie. But it works. This this movie was written like a Bioshock game. Uh, I don't know if you've played any of those games, so I don't know, but – uh, I haven't necessarily, but I know it's a very popular game. It's, I mean, it's it's story for story, very Bioshock in that you don't have your memory. Um, there's characters that you think are on your side that aren't on your side. There's quests that you're given with waypoints that you have to get to, and by the time you get to, something changes, so your plan has to change, and you have to go killing all these other guys and get to this. <laughs> you have to protect somebody as they're going through waves of mo- Like, it's... This is beat for beat a Bioshock game, but there's something to be said for that because all the Bioshock games are best-selling video games for every single episode. So, I mean, if you like those, watch this. But the the tropes of, yeah, the damsel in distress, I thought it was a really interesting story arc to do because, I mean, imagine a Mario game where instead of the princess is in another castle, the princess is Bowser. Like... That's kind of the concept of this, and Bowser and the princess are working together instead of you saving the princess. Absolutely. And, you know, um, other things that's been compared Assassin's Creed for, um, as you mentioned, the parkour elements. Yeah. You know, so so it, it, it combines both, where it's just sh- it's shootout, shootout, but then there's also thinking, and then mission, and then jumping, and this and that. So all these elements, you know, are pulled from these various you know video games, but also with the story. What would you think of like creating a series of just hardcore being the first person branding, and it's like hardcore Mission Impossible, and just refill Mission Impossible in this style, or freaking hardcore Die Hard, and you just you're the first person of Bruce Willis the entire movie. I think I think in order to, <coughs> for that to work in any way, shape, or form, it would have to come from a place of love. It, it also have to be like um, remember and be kind, rewind, where they sweeted all those movies. Yeah, I think it would have to be something like that. Rather than some studio trying to get behind it. Oh yeah, well of course, because um, then then whether it was good or not, ultimately it, it could have a heart behind it. Just like you know, again the be kind we rewind movies did with Jack Black and Most Def. That was not that. the best movie. No, but I I, enjoy, I enjoyed the the message of the movie and yeah. and kind of the movies that they ultimately <laughs> made. They they would literally refilm movies. No, yeah, the classics. So for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, all right, so we, we've talked kind of about the opening, right? So let's talk about the crux of the opening because um, – and there's a great picture that we have. Um, you know, he's kind of in the in the water, right, and Estelle lets him out. And this is where, much like in any sort of video game, this is your tutorial. Yeah, like, oh, use the joystick to look up. Now look left. Now look right. Cool. <laughs> now squeeze your fist. Yeah. Now break this apple. Oops. Applesauce. Uh, so I, I really much enjoyed that. And, and by the way, like I, I also linked the picture because it shows kind of, um, I, again, the, the photos that we'll kind of go through, we, we have a very limited amount of them. But nonetheless, uh, it's just interesting to see find, from a third-person perspective the behind-the-scenes look at it because obviously all we're given is the first-person view of it. It was super disorienting the way they did it with the reflection and everything. You're like, all right. You don't know where the camera is because you're just getting into the movie. And then when he gets out, you're like, oh, okay, got it. Mm-hmm. But no, they did a really good job having a camera on the reflection and a camera on the person. And it's itself. literally dead silent. Just yeah. like you, you know, if you were on water and, and whatever else, like there was no sound whatsoever. No, you know, I can't imagine, like room tone must have been very minimal. <laughs> and, the, you know, so, something like that did play to the to the effect of watching the movie because... As you mentioned, we open up the movie with uh, your pussy bit, and then we cut to this pretty much right after, and it is very disorienting in that way. I mean, uh, we have that whole credit sequence, and that's a lot of fun, but boom, just nothing. Well, like, I'd like to think that the scene of your pussy, like, 
you, you've seen Inside Out, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have like, your core memories and you have your regular memories, but your core memories. Like, I feel like that was just such a core memory for... Pussy Island, that was that was the memory. Just, just his dad telling him that, <laughs> like, that scene of his life where their robot is destroyed or whatever, and the little toy robot is destroyed, is just such a inherent part of his being that the memory blocker just couldn't block the entire thing. And I think that that's kind of like a cool thing to, to think about that as much as this technology goes, you, you can't erase all aspects of who you were. And that's why they need this emotional motivation because they're still human. As much as you make them robots, they're still human and need some human element. To yeah. It. And Jimmy was right. Jimmy was always right. Yeah. Jimmy, dude, Jimmy's, Jimmy's the funniest character I've seen in movies in a long time. No, <laughs> how so? I, mean, I just, I, it, it's just one of those things where every time it comes back, you're excited. It's like, oh my god, what's he going to be doing this time? Like my, like I know action movie anatomy on our network. <clears throat> they do a fist pump moment. Mm-hmm. My fist pump moment for this film would be when Jimmy's the the galley sniper. And he says, cover me for a moment. And then he takes up the sniper rifle, looks down, and suddenly the punk rock Jimmy is down there just slashing people and killing people and blows himself up down by the vans. I was like, that is just so awesome because it's just switching between characters and just fucking shit up. Pardon my language. Like, I thought, I thought it was great. Yeah, and, then, and uh, <clears throat> you know, obviously we talked about kind of already how Jimmy served the purpose. Um, there's, a, there's a photo, if you will, Mark, the second one. Uh, you know, so th- there's a fun picture of, of behind the scenes of, of the mission. And if you really dissect it, right? Um, so there's, uh, there's Henry, uh, shooting at the, at, at one of the guys in the white. And I, I just found this great because again, it's just, Jimmy's the one who gives him all these assignments and just provides him with everything. And he's also like the weapons checkpoint as well. Kind of. Yeah. He's just like, and what do you need? <laughs> oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be going. He's like Q. In, in some sort of weird way, yeah. He's the mobile Q. Uh, this is this picture's from the rooftop scene, which I wish we had like an outside picture of how they filmed this because there's so many times where pieces of the building blows up while they're in the room, and there's all these people around it on every window, and then coming through the roof, and he's shooting through the roof. Like I would have loved to just be on set. Like that's the way they filmed this. This movie is going to make me want to buy the DVD or Blu-ray just to see the. I, I really the hope they have a good behind-the-scenes feature as because I, I, that would be fantastic. And sometimes I know <coughs> movies of this budget sometimes aren't afforded that. Like you know, everything in Star Wars was definitely documented. Yeah. Um, whereas this, I don't know. Yeah. Because they just wanted to make a movie. So we'll we'll see. But but I think if they were, did capture at least like even if just ten percent of production that would be fantastic well just all the practical effects like and that was very important yeah he he didn't want like again we kind of talked about this on other episodes so if you're a huge fan you've you've heard this debate before if you're joining us then and it's perhaps new for you but people are getting to the realization just like star wars of like okay practical effects look look better like oh (laughs) what what a concept isn't that real things look real jurassic park versus jurassic world yeah, I mean, it looks fake as hell, but you, it looks real because it looks fake now compared to everything. I mean, yeah, it's just this. And they said that they have uh, seventeen hundred um, shots that they've had to put special effects on, but the majority of that was removing wires, uh, removing lighting rigs, and stuff like that. So, as much as this film, like, there's some points in this movie where I'm like, that's obvious. The blood is obviously special effect, but for the majority of it. Because it looks so realistic, you can kind of buy into it easier. Like if this was, um, but by the way, seventeen hundred shots is ultimately not that much. Lord of the Rings, the the last one at, at that point had like almost uh, o- over two thousand shots. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's it's ultimately not. You know, it's it's on par. Let's say. Okay, I mean, we, we can say that. I just there's there's a certain charm to it when you're. Especially if it's in the first person, like yep. imagine what like you've been in 3D, you've seen a I've like seen a plenty of 3D. Universal. You go to 3D, you put the glasses on, and things come forward, but you know they're so fake because it's just so fake. This, it's like you're in it, and everything kind of seems like it has a an effect. Yeah, like he shoots a bullet, it's actually shooting something, not just 
oh, that's a fake bullet hole in the wall, or oh, that guy's just bleeding, but it's not really there. Uh, can like let's talk about the uh, the intro of the movie itself, the the opening credits. Sure, that was it. just even though that was special effects, it was hard to watch because it was just so realistic Glory. and done. Yeah, like the whole. Let's like, set you up. I mean, here's the thing. What what it did nicely was that it, it prepared you for what was about to come. Because it would do you a huge disservice if, 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 whatever, let's say you had flowers dancing around. And that might even actually be a funny juxtaposition to all of it. But you're like, oh, okay, this might not be so bad. And then to see, like, the first couple of kills, you're like, oh, oh shoot, what am I in for? It's, uh, I don't know, it, it took me back to, like, Saving Private Ryan with the knife scene. When the knife is just slowly going towards the neck. And you're like, no, they're not going to do it. They're not going to... Oh, this is so hard to watch. Oh, God. No, yeah. That, I mean, I always feel like knives going into skin is always hard to watch in slow motion. Uh, this kind of felt like the Kingsman a little bit, too. Uh, the sense of humor around it. And I'd love to see a scene shot in first person like this in the next Kingsman movie, too. I don't think they're going to do that. But um, but why not? Um, what was your favorite scene? Uh, you go first. Let me think of that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit tough to say for me. I, I think the, the rooftop scene for me, cause that's finally when we get all the answers. Um, and I, I really liked, uh, Estelle, you know, and, and, and cause as I was watching it, you know, very early on, something didn't feel right. She just, the fact that she, obviously Jimmy kind of keeps reappearing and this and that, and you're like, okay, fine. But the fact, uh, Estelle, I thought it was so easy the way they dragged her through all of it. I was like, okay, something's not what it's seeming to be which it obviously turns out that oh she's not his wife she's the wife of Akan. yeah i unfortunately kind of saw that twist coming a mile away like from the very first time i see her i'm like oh she's a bad guy i don't know if that's just intuition from video games or something but i saw her and i was like Okay, this is a little bit too conspicuous. I see the ring. I'm assuming the ring is going to be some tracking device or something. Well, uh, that didn't turn out to be true. Yeah, that didn't turn out to be true, but I don't know. Uh, I it was I was kind of thrown off, too, because uh, Chloe Dykstra is somebody who's hosted here before doing a few shows, and she's in L.A. and stuff, and I've met her a bunch, but she looks so... The actress who plays Estella, mm-hmm. uh, Haley... Right, Haley Bennett. Haley Bennett looks exactly like Chloe Dykstra, so it just kind of threw me off. I was like pulling out IMDb. I'm like, is that is that is that? No, that's not her. But it kind of threw me off. But no, I, I I thought it was a very satisfying twist, though, where you're just like, okay, you have a feeling that something's up. Okay, she's not really the mastermind behind it. It's still Akon. Okay, I can deal with that. And I like the that it was her idea mm-hmm. of. Well, if they need emotional motivation, how about they all fall in love with me, your really sexy wife? Okay. That cool. was narcissistic at all. <laughs> what, what I also liked about, you know, they, they went that depth, I mean, uh, of her saying, um, shoot, where was I going? Um, the, 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 the fact of the matter was, like, she knew when he pulled her into the escape pod that they had him. Yeah. And that, 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 I was like, oh, yeah. Because even watching that scene, it was so well done of the whole hand of like, no, no, come on. And it did have that emotional weight of it of like, okay, I'm not leaving my wife behind. Yeah. And just, again, the, the, the way they used the hand motions too was great. They was, had to. That was, their, that, that was his only means of expression besides his feet, which you just see running. Freaking the bus scene. Jimmy's like, you're going to have to find this guy named uh, Slick. Uh, what's it's just Slick. Slick, Slick Dimitri. Slick Dimitri, right? And then you're going to take him, you're going to kill him, and you're going to rip his heart out, and you're going to take that heart and you're going to eat it. I'm just kidding, you're not going to eat it. He's like, <laughs> he's like, fat out. He's like, God damn it, just tell me what's going on. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you betrayed me. I can't talk. And I yeah. love that he called him Chaplin. It's like, oh, I get sent, messed up with freaking Chaplin here. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'd say the favorite, my favorite part of the movie. I love the dance number. Like, I'm sorry, but that was just so out of the blue. And the whole movie is so fast-paced, and you're, like, wondering when the bad thing's going to happen. And they get through, like, three or four minutes straight of just this dance number of singing one line and then falling over. And then another character popping out and singing one line and falling over. I don't know. I mean, it was... Nah. <coughs> it was really... 
enjoyable. And then the, the, the sniper shot when the head gets blown off right in front of him like that was pretty impactful too. Because, of course, you're in the first person. So he's grabbing your shirt and suddenly his head blows off and you're like, fuck. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, also speaking about Jimmy, um, when Charlotte Char- was asked about what was one of the hardest scenes to film, he said it was the driving scene where you had to elbow a guy and, um, <coughs> you know, out of a moving vehicle. And uh, it just, um, it was tough. It was tough. And especially that that was one of the scenes that he said they shot late in the production. So... You know, when you're doing a movie like this, by the end, you're, I'm, I gotta say, you're pretty tired. I probably, I mean, that's what you sign up for, though, honestly. Like, you do, but I mean, ma- making any movie, like, is just number one, mentally exhausting. And then when you're having the physicality to this level, you know, it, it adds weight to it. Yeah. I thought the, uh, it's the first time I've seen a minigun well done in a movie. Like, when they're on the motorcycle, because it, it looks like like the minigun's literally ripping the van in half with the bullets. <coughs> this is the first time I've seen that well done. Jimmy's character just, uh, when you first see him again after he's killed, because you don't know who the hell he is at this point, and then he's the homeless guy on the bus, uh, that's when you kind of first kind of get the feeling that you're going to be seeing him a lot more throughout the movie. Uh, but they didn't, they never disappointed, because anytime you got a new version of him, you were wondering if that was the real one, and you were kind of getting the feeling that, okay, they each have their own kind of specialty. The drugged out one was just like the berserk one. Um, and then I thought it was really cool, the the higher the higher path scene with the, guy, with the guy in the ski mask was actually Ilya, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a cool tidbit, how they added people in from the production at just at random points. Well, I think it was almost that necessity of like, oh, shoot, rather than get actors and this and that, why don't you just be in the movie? Okay. Well, I mean, I was even thinking while I was watching, I was like, wow, they're doing this first person. I guarantee it's not the same actor doing every scene. No, no, absolutely <coughs> not. So, yes, Henry was played by 10 different stuntmen, um, including Ilya. But, uh, but yeah, 10 different people. Yeah. And- Although we did, here's the thing. People are saying, like, we never get to see Henry. We saw his face yeah. in the reflection at the end. And I was trying to figure out, okay, whose face is that ultimately? Uh but yeah, I found it strange how people are saying that we never get to see him ultimately. The dialogue was weird with the last scene with Jimmy. And I think that threw a lot of people off because it's so <coughs> interpret as you will, where he's like, I never realized what you are to me. And some people interpret that as, oh, is it his son? Is it his, like, is it his, is it his brother? Like what? But I, but of course he says like, you're my friend. Like, a lot of people will not let go because once you kind of get that inkling that, oh, he's related to him, they don't understand that, no, he's saying that he's his friend and that's something he hasn't had in a long time. That's something that he doesn't realize. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would be where a lot of the disconnect is. And when they show you, I was really wondering the whole movie if they were going to show us his face, if they were going to show, okay, who is Henry? What is this? Um, I feel that the their decision-making in only showing it at the end was great because that's when he gets his humanity back. Because up until that point, Henry is whatever Akan and Estelle want him to be. Because up until that point, he is play-by-play doing exactly what they want. Every time you see Akan, like, let's say, when he puts the platter through the dignitary's face, uh, you know that Akan could have killed him at any time. So you're you're wondering throughout the movie, why hasn't he just killed him? You find out that he's recording all the memories to be put into all these other bots to give them the motivations. So, you know, when you finally realize that it's because it's their plan all along and then you see his face, you're like, okay, this is Henry is Henry for the first time in this entire movie. Jimmy has unblocked his memories. We realize that it wasn't a hatred of his father that pushed him as a human being before. It is his father's love of trying to teach him, like saying that his father said he was a pussy and that's why he's never going to say it to him, but he needs to learn how to stand up for himself. So he's getting his own personality back. Henry is now Henry going after Aiken and going after Estelle. And I love the the fact that he rips out his own eye to like cut off the guy's head. Like, I don't think you're ever going to find a movie again that does that. Probably not. Probably not. Well, speaking of Aiken, um, so let's talk about this, right? A lot of people are left wondering, okay, what is, like this telekinetic guy, what, what is Why he? Why is he Magneto? Uh, well, there is an origin story. 
It's called Hardcore Aiken. It is a comic book that people were handed out at the <coughs> uh, the film festival where it premiered. And, um, you know, you, I, I don't know. I, I was trying to do some quick uh, diligence of where you can find it. So I'm, I'm sure you can find it online or buy it. But it, it tells the whole origin story. And ultimately, he isn't evil, right? Um, the whole story of the comic book is him uh, from birth, um, the infamous Chernobyl <coughs> explosion disaster. So I think that's <coughs> – it's a little bit cliche, but, um, you know, Cher- Chernobyl and – It's a comic book ra- origin ra- story. Yeah, radiation and things <coughs> like that lead ultimately to – one superpower, and uh, ultimately he gets into this field of robotics and becomes sinister. It almost looked like somebody dipped Jesse Eisenberg's loose uh, um, Lex Luthor into bleach and like pulled him out. Yeah, with the hair. Yeah, but I, I I thought it was really interesting how he didn't look at the camera a lot, like because everyone that Henry interacts with in the movie looks directly into his eyes at the camera. But then, in this case, uh, Aiken tries his best to avoid even looking in, into the eyes. And I'm wondering if that... Well, it's because, ultimately, as you said, the, the memories are being recorded. And so, I don't know, you have to cut that out, I guess. You, you don't, you know, I, I, to, to basically catch the creator in these memories, they don't want that, right? Yeah, so, I think, I think it's, that's part of it. Um, uh, Haley Bennett, right? So, we talked about her. She's actually... A second degree friend, if you will, right? So uh, Jerry Ferrara and his girlfriend Brianna, um, <coughs> they're actually co- close friends with her. And uh, had we had a little bit more time, we could have probably gotten Haley to be part of the show. And maybe in the future, we still will. But I just thought that was an interesting connection. And she's been an equalizer, Marley and me. And I, I thought she did a fantastic job in this. And uh, I hope to see more of her. Equalizer is a great movie. <laughs> Indeed, it is. And then uh, Tim Roth. He made it into the movie. He is the father. He is the father. He is the most scummy-looking guy all the time in his movies. But it's the, it's like great casting because right. like the like you can just imagine like if if I was gonna cast that role, a, a dad calling his son a pussy, you know Tim Roth. There you go, Tim Roth. Um, all right. So one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about is compare this to various um, other things out there, right? So. It's not other, – other movies that, you know, Doom's sort of done this, but it was a shorter sequence. As long as it may have been in that movie, it's certainly not an hour and a half type of movie. Uh, then other examples are you have Cloverfield, Chronicle, um, Blair Witch Project, Project X. But those, that's someone holding a camera and you're kind of aware of that fact of it. It's, it's not literally the perspective of someone. There's nothing to connect with when it's a camera. You're not because it's it's you feel secondary. You feel like, I mean, in Cloverfield, let's say, or even Blair Witch, like you feel at any point they could just drop the camera on the ground and continue, and then you'll never get the rest of the story. You feel like you're ch- they're just carrying you along out of inconvenience. Like, oh, we got to hold this camera, got to bring the audience along, otherwise we don't have a movie. Well, that was I mean, Blair Witch Project. That was a whole technique of itself. You know what I mean? Because it, it was supposed to be as real as possible. Like, yeah. You know, so you can't necessarily do that. So, but, you know, it's interesting. Like, that was, like, the first of its kind and the way they told that story and the history of that and the way it's evolved over the years. Um, And that became kind of like the the cliche of, like, okay, we'll just shoot it, you know, Cloverfield style. But now this is sort of almost the next evolution of it. Yeah, I think think as the first of its kind, it always kind of breaks that wall of, okay, now – times after this will be a little bit easier. Because, <clears throat> I mean, once... I mean, I'm sure Ilya will put out some kind of book in his lifetime that talks about this. I'm sure everyone who worked on this crew now has knowledge of how to do all these things, and they're going to be working on tons of movies. The film industry is a very small industry. As much as it's a large industry, the, the people who work on these films are, are yeah. all over the place. I mean, yeah, I think 10 years from now we'll have movies like this probably every year. And they'll be even more crazy and even more ridiculous. I mean, you see these 360 cameras they have out now where people can put on their VR goggles and look around. Uh, it's it, the, the possibilities for cinema in the future are endless. 
Absolutely. Speaking of a fun little trivia bit, Rooster Teeth and uh, and and the the guys who made this movie they teamed up for a Don't Talk or Text PSA at the Alamo Draft House uh, theater chain. You can find this on YouTube, and it's really entertaining and scary. <laughs> why, why is it scary? Um, I don't remember it very well. I remember that I watched it and was like, "Damn, that's cool," but I don't remember it very well. It's it's similar along the lines of those. Uh, um, of the of the video of people where they did like a a test of the theater where they sent out a signal to everyone in the theater's cell phones at the same time. Mm-hmm. So like it's playing the preview of somebody first person driving in a car, and then everyone in the theater gets like a text on their cell phone because of this device, and everyone in the theater because it's still previews they pull out their cell phone, look at it, and while they look at it, the car crashes, and mm-hmm. everyone looks up and they're like. You died! Like Dark Souls style. It's like because of cell phone use and stuff. I could play it real quick if y'all want. Let's uh, do it. Here we go. <coughs> Alamo. Draft House Cinema. Now an important message from Alamo Draft House. Hey, Bill. Come on, mate. I need your help with this big contract. I won't stop talking and texting on his phone, yeah? I wonder how they got the actor to play Henry. Oh, shout out to Barbara Dunkelman, who was the blonde. Whoop you. I text, I text. Boom. Hey, fuck you, dude. Fucking respect, man. Oh. No talking and texting on a fucking phone, yeah? Don't talk, don't text, or Henry and Jimmy will smash your face into our delicious oven baked cookies. Which you can purchase at the convenience bar. They're actually really good. <laughs> uh, a little bit of extra background is uh, they were showing, Rooster Teeth was showing their film Laser Team on the screen, and also the guy playing the Russian was in Laser Team. Oh, cool. So it's just a fun little crossover between those two companies. The blonde was Barbara, wasn't it? That was it? Barbara. It was Barbara, okay, of, yeah. A lot of the Rooster Teeth crew was the folks in the theater, too. I like it when theaters do fun stuff like that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's awesome. Especially because it's uh, it puts you in kind of the seat. It does indeed. It does indeed. Um, all right. So speaking of how this was actually shot, uh, they used a lot of GoPros, the Hero Three camera, um, using a special rig, and we do have a photo of that. Um, so here you go. Check it out. There's uh, there's one of the actors as Henry with one of the rigs. They're <laughs> rehearsing, um, and eventually a GoPro kind of helped. You know, they got behind this movie. Because obviously, I mean, it's it's a fantastic PR, uh, you know, campaign for them, if you will. That's the scene where he's fighting Slick. Indeed. Cool. Um, and so, by the way, you would think, right, that this entire movie, between all the action, a lot of people would get hurt. No. Only five stitches and one chipped tooth. I know. And to put that into perspective, Hangover 2 had a stuntman become brain dead. I know. Because of all the alcohol poisoning? No, because uh, well, it was one of the stuntmen. I think he's I think he's better now, but he's still like wheelchair paralyzed. Uh, the Zach Galifianakis scene where he's holding his head out of the car, or, or was it uh, the other actor? Either way, uh, head out of the car, another car came too close, clipped him. Mm-hmm. So like from the simplest things, people can be irreparably damaged doing stunts, and this movie has so many things that you're like, holy crap, and. One chip tooth and stitches, like really? That's it. That just shows that the the people in charge knew what they were doing. Like they knew exactly what to do for each scene, as opposed to like, all right, we're gonna wing it. Hope nobody gets hurt. (laughs) Yeah, and again, you had people falling in walls. You had this and that. You had so much parkour. You got people on fire. (laughs) God. So, uh, so they they did a good job. I I love that the bus. It was like. Ah, it's a stupid fucking jacket, mate. Your jacket's fucking stupid. Your disco... Ah! The flamethrower, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, get animated, Phil. Get animated. No, you're welcome to get animated. Um, I thought this quote was interesting from Ilya. Because, um, again, sp- speaking about the complexity of the film. There are no simple <laughs> films. You could have two guys talking in one room, and that's a very complicated film to make. Just because films are complicated... 
But with this, everyone had to relearn their craft a little bit. The stunt guys can't put the camera where they want to hide uh, the punch. You have to work around the issue. Every film is a bunch of problem solving nonstop. With this, we just didn't have as many tools as usual to solve them, which was great. And so on. You can read the full quote, but um, and, and Stephen kind of talked about that. You know, when you're forced into that box, two have to be creative. It's why Star Wars Episode Four, the first one, was great. It's because they had to think. They had to use models. They had to think with the storytelling. They had to use visual storytelling instead of adding five minutes to the movie for scenes. Like when when you that's what I don't like. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a bigger fan of like the the smaller release and lower budget movies because I feel like to get them made you have to do more rewrites and you have to be a lot more clever with the filmmaking. Nowadays they just throw money at something and say, "Hey, this is going to be great because we put 300 million dollars into it." Well, if there's no heart, if you don't try to think of how to do things, you're probably just going to go with your first gut instinct and it's going to come out how it comes out, but there might be a better way to do it that looks better if you just had to be in the pressure zone of you can't do it the way you wanted to. Yeah, I agree to that, and Robert Rodriguez certainly subscribes to that model of filmmaking, you know, where he, as he said, like, you got to refuse to spend. Yeah. Let creativity be your solution. If you can make a mil- if you can make a movie for a million dollars, why why do you need to spend $10 million on it? Like, get the budget, get the $10 million budget, but why do you need to use all of it? I don't know. Have a, <coughs> have a big rap party at the end. I know, right? $3 million rap party. Um, what I found was interesting, too, uh, about this movie. So there's three cinematographers credited on this. Pasha Kapinos, um, Fedor Lies, and then uh, I'll let you pronounce the... Vizevalad Kaptur. There you go. They share credit on this. Now, with the exception of Federer, uh, the other two only have about four credits in cinematography. So the fact, you know, it's an interesting balance of someone who's quite experienced... Then someone, you know, the other two who are kind of coming up, but obviously it, it works really well. Yeah, and I think egos wouldn't get in the way in that position if Federer is the one directing, <coughs> kind of leading the team. Yeah, I mean, I've, like I said, I've never seen ultimately, but I think um, it's interesting. I don't know how they fully divided it, whether it's by like scene by scene or they were always present. Uh, but, you know, I think together, again, going back to the quote about like creativity and problem solving. At a certain point, you have to let egos go aside. And it's like, okay, how do we just solve this? And whoever comes up with the answer, yeah, let's just like, okay, great, that's a good answer. Let's do it. Well, they have the Feder has the experience from so many things, but it's always good to have people there who can think of clever different things. Because when you're in that position, you have to be outside the box. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, somebody broke our dolly. It's gone. All right. Well, we have this chair and some duct tape, and we can MacGyver something. Like, all mm-hmm. right. I mean, even you with AfterBuzz, like, we've worked together in AfterBuzz, and you've done this so much longer than I have, but in my position, if if you if I have an idea that has to be done one way and we can't, you come up with an idea that we can use instead, and vice versa. Like, you know how to do everything, but if we can't do it, it's like, okay, well, we can convert this chord to this chord to this chord and make it work. There's always you, you need people on hand to have ideas, just like Mark in the booth. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and th- there's a great article, kind of, uh, this cinematography, we, we talked about it. Like, this isn't the first film to use first-person perspectives. Others have used it, whether it be Goodfellas, um, so forth. But, I, you know, th- there's kind of a great article with some great quotes that you guys can kind of check out. Um, but, again, all, all in all, it speaks to the idea that th- this is sort of the next evolution and that, you know, it, it can take off from here and really become... A genre. A genre, a, a device, um, a technique, if you will, for making movies. I'm just surprised it looked so good being shot on GoPros. Yeah, I actually, you know, the, it's a great campaign for GoPros, as I said. Seriously, GoPros doing some big stuff lately. Um, I but, love, okay, so are we getting to editing right now? Sure, we can get into editing. When the Wilhelm scream came on, I, like, was in my seat, Did, like, Yes! Can you I explain com- to people what the hell that is? Ah! Like, Mark, can you, can you play it real quick? <coughs> we'll find it online. I gotta find it, yeah. All right, so, so for those, you know, there's just a... It's basically a sound effect scream that's pretty much used in every movie. It's, it's, a, it's an editor's in joke. Yeah. It's like how Disney has, like, studio the numbers put into uh, their movies, like, as a, as a joke. The Wilhelm scream is just that one... Just like... Uh, 
there's another there's like an explosion scream that's also being that's used a lot. But Wilhelm scream is used in. S- <gasps> yeah, there you go. It's used in uh, Star Wars. It, I mean, it's used in everything basically, and you can kind of listen to it. Usually, they hide it by other people's screams and just kind of throw it in there on top of the audio. This one it was super super obvious when he throws so. the grenade down the down the staircase and the guy just pops up after the explosion with like his arm blown off and everything. It's Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, Steve Merkachov, Merkovich, Merkovich, uh, he is the guy who edited this movie. And now, uh, I gotta say, this guy's been around. You know, most recently he just did Risen, which we covered here on Anatomy. Uh, he's done Passion of the Christ. I know what you did last summer. Sixteen blocks, Con Air, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two: Secret of the Ooze, and, uh, and many more in between. So he's again in, in terms of the caliber of people that worked on this movie. This is a good editor. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I got to give it like, it shows, right? Cause they could have just as easily, <coughs> um, well, maybe not, you know, they probably need it for the cuts anyway to have those, uh, those breaks in the uh, first person perspective. But, you know, you could see like, okay, this movie being two hours just by kind of letting it play out in the way that it could have. But the fact that they chose to cut it in those ways, uh, I, I thought was really well done. Yeah, I mean, there's sometimes where it skips forward a little mm-hmm. bit in yeah. the cuts, but like it doesn't really affect you that much. No, 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 not at all. And because uh, they didn't need to do this really Birdman style, they didn't need to. That would have been terrible. Yeah, it would have been. That's really essentially bad. what I'm saying. So they chose. They, they, they had an economy of shots, if you will. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. All right, let's talk about your girl, the the lust of your lo- life. Oh, Daria Charusha. That's it. She is so ridiculously good-looking, and she is the leather-clad biker chick from the bikes that has the sword, and it's just all-around badass, and she's also apparently the composer of this film. She grew up with a passion for, for theater and music, and it's kind of spawned from there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, again, talk about a whole crew that's just dedicated. Like, they're, they're on screen, they're getting the reward, but they're also working hard behind the scenes. And talk about just somebody who hit the genetic lottery for everything talented actress talented composer like a 10 like crazy um yeah she i think she also does like her own music in russia like is a well well-selling artist in russia yeah i think that's just called charusha is the is the name of her music but i think i just thought it was cool like reading your notes and even some of the stuff i like the people who you think are just extras or even just parts of the movie or people who like being part of it. Like it even makes me think that the, the editor wanted to do it as opposed to like, Oh, let's find a good editor and have them hard on the movie. Like, I feel like it's more of a, Hey, we're doing this. Oh, that sounds interesting. Cool. Like, oh, man. Yeah, I agree. You know, and it kind of, it kind of took off. Right. So it premiered at the Toronto film festival back in September of 2015 and just became, this uh this massive thing that maybe people expected <laughs> um but ultimately and led into a bidding war between uh stx and lionsgate and universal over the rights of this film and it became the, the, or the first sold of the toronto film festival looking at that those are the three studios the fact that sts x actually acquired it i was surprised well I, you know i i can't speak with 100 percent certainty but you know, uh, I, by the way, any one of those would have been a good choice, right? Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It, it felt like STX is, you know, um, of those three, a little bit lesser known, at least in that way. Um, I don't know. Maybe they just felt. I don't know what ultimately the deciding factor was, but I, I feel like maybe they just felt like they were going to give him a little bit of extra push, a little bit of extra passion, and maybe not. They wouldn't have been able to like throw marketing money at this in the way that those other two could have. You know, to, Universal to me out of those is probably the biggest. B- but that's what this whole th- through line seems to be is just passion for the movie. Yeah, I mean exactly. I mean if you were looking at, if you were looking at this movie as a PG thirteen movie instead of what it is, and it's very gory, right, hard R with tits and ass and blood and gore and murder. I'd say Universal might have been a cool choice just because of. Like, the fact that this could easily, very, very easily become a theme park ride. But 
aside from that, like, I, I don't see a re- I think the STX, it's great because they're going to fight harder for it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Ilyev also said that, you know, in terms of marking this movie, it was never really about just for gamers. They could have had the cliche health bars and this and that. Yeah. But it wasn't. He wanted to go beyond that and give people a true cinematic experience, not just like if you wanted to play a video game, go play video games. Yeah, I mean, it had. Um, it took some of the good things that Crank did, uh, you know, like the the battery in his heart cage, and he had to like replace his battery and <coughs> get jump started. The adrenaline was a fun touch, but like, yeah, it, a health bar would have, really would have made it super cheesy. Uh, or having any kind of HUD display. No. Like, oh, let's give him a crosshair in the middle. Like, like how many bullets and this and that? Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not in on that. The only reason to include like a reticle or something like that would be f- to avoid motion sickness, which is what it is for most first-person shooters. Yeah, but I think the the thing is with this movie is if they were going to have a reticle, the reticle would be moving because the the whole point is that the guy is a cyborg. He's great at shooting. He doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be looking at what he's shooting. He can just yeah. shoot it. He can just be a quick draw. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel. You know, I only saw it by myself. I saw a very early screening of it, um, but I, I can't say that. You know, I got disjointed any sort of way. I didn't become sick after any certain point. Um, I thought it worked really well. Yeah, and I, obviously from the premiere over at the Toronto Film Festival, people like people are on board with that. Like none of them had that. There, there's no noted uh, whatever sickness because of it. Yeah, it was very. The cameras were stable to any respect. Like, you know, a lot of people make the mistake of, okay, if you're, if you're running, the camera has to go like this because you're running. No, it's the camera's stable. It's running. The arms are what you see instead of the camera going up and down. And it gives you the effect that you want without making you feel as a viewer. Like it's annoying. And that's part of a lot of these, like, you know, whenever (laughs) people shoot handheld and more specifically with, you know, whether it be Cloverfield, whether it be all these other movies that are sort of like Blair Witch Project, right? You, let's use that. Yeah, that's like, nothing. It's all just shaky. Um, and so, but that's not how the actual eye sees things. It doesn't, it sees things fairly smooth. Yeah. Even when you are running. So, so I agree. Um, <coughs> as of April 10th, Hardcore Henry has made a worldwide 7.2 million. Uh, 5.1 million of that being in North America, 2.5 in other territories. So. I was kind of sad how low it was, but it's not actually low. I'm just so used to these damn huge movies coming out recently. Yeah. But no, because I, I, I pegged this number three on Box Office Breakdown two weeks ago, and it did number five in in the top five. But no, I mean, I thought, I think more people should see this. And I, ho- I hope it's going to be one of those things where it's word of mouth, where over the next few weeks people are still th- seeing it in theaters. Um, of course, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the theaters were like because I went uh, noon on a Tuesday to watch this film, which is not peak hours by any means. Well, it got, it got a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, <coughs> so not great, but not def- definitely not terrible, right? There's a lot worse movies, especially right now. And I think ultimately it will have a broader appeal internationally. You know the fact that again, because our because Henry doesn't ultimately speak, I think it, it makes it more bilingual, if you will. Yeah. So that's true. It'd be pretty easy to ADR the lines for everything. You don't even you just subtitle it. Yeah, that's, you that's know, true. I, I, and by the way, the dialogue isn't that heavy in this movie to begin with, so it's not that tons of work. Um, by the way, Russia loves this critical acclaim in Russia. I. Love the filming locations they chose in Russia. I mean, there's so many abandoned buildings and, like, gutted buildings and stuff there. So when they go through the city, it's city. When they go through abandoned place in the forest, you're like, oh, this is really believable. I mean, it looked gorgeous. Yeah, I have to commend them. So all in all, I thought they did a fantastic job with all of this. Um, definitely worth checking out. And uh, if you guys have a place to buy Hardcore Aiken, um, let our other viewers know and let me know i'd love to check it out as well um just on you know i was trying to kind of find it but ebay probably somebody's probably uploaded it to youtube somewhere though i'm sure it's somewhere you know what i mean it's got to be somewhere um i don't think especially like that you know if for the people that like this movie you know i i don't think 
the filmmakers would deny them the right to be able to purchase it or get it somewhere. Yeah. So, any uh, final thoughts, Stephen Lemieux? Uh, I'd like to see more movies done like this. <laughs> I'd like to see a, at least a segment of Edge of Tomorrow 2 to have something first person. I think that would be great. All right. I think there's definitely an ability to make a kids movie like this, even if they want to revive Spy Kids or something. And do it in this style. I think that'd be that's up to Robert Rodriguez ultimately. Well, yeah, but no, I, I think this movie has finally made it acceptable and kind of something that people would be open to doing more mm-hmm. in films, as opposed to before, as it was. Oh my God, you're going to give everyone motion sickness. We can't put this in the movie. Oh my God, you're just copying the Blair Witch Project. Like you know. Yeah. Well, ultimately, everything's kind of a. You know, sometimes it's a copy of something else. Other times it's an advancement on something. And so I think if someone else were to do something, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a copy as long as it wasn't a copy. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you guys for joining us yet again on uh, Anatomy of Movie here on Popcorn Talk. Steven mentioned Action Movie Anatomy. That's another show we have here. Um, that, that sometimes there's a crossover on the movies that we do. But as the name implies, t- typically they do a lot of action movies uh, typically from the past. Uh, by the way, a lot of other shows here as well. Mark Nanaka, who's engineering us from the booth, he does a show called Jedi Alliance. As you can imagine, that is a show dedicated just for Star Wars. And there's a ton of other ones, so definitely check out our whole slate on popcorntalk.com. And check back in with us, whether you're a returning person. You guys know the drill. We do uh, movies every single week. If this is your first time, we do this similar thing for our various, various movies, about two a week. Um, and within our library, we have over 250 that we've done thus far. In the coming weeks, we'll be doing Civil War, uh, The Jungle Book. In the past, we've done a lot of various movies, so check it out. Um, and you know what? That's the beauty of movies. They're timeless. And so, you know... Uh, you know comment now after you haven't seen it maybe maybe then eventually when it comes out on dvd you see it again let us know what you thought of it then that's the beauty it's an ongoing conversation it's online it's not one and done it's forever i want to ask you one last question about this movie okay what do you think of his decision at the end where she says trust your emotions henry and then he closes the door i thought it was great okay i because you know uh she was she was a lie like it would it would have felt it would have felt um, cheated in some sort of way of like, oh, he forgives her. I, I understand that she's not, you know, she's not the most, Aiken's like the real evil guy, but she made this decision to create this whole lie. And so what, you're going to let her off? No. No, I just didn't know. I, I was just wondering what you thought of it. All okay. right, well, I'm just, that's what I'm telling you. Cool. I wouldn't have. So if you guys think otherwise, let us know. Maybe I'm just harsh. But no, I, I just have. I just meant like there could have been like a harsher way to than what closing the door, chopping off her fingers, and letting her fall from a flying plane <laughs> to the ground. Mark Donica, please tell me how that could have been worse. Uh, you know what? I think that pretty much covers it. There you All go. All right, Stephen Lemieux, <laughs> I fear for what is in your head. And on that note, if you guys actually want to get inside Stephen Lemieux's head, where can people? Well, you probably don't want to, but you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Lemieux, S-T-P-H-E-N-L-E-M-I-U-X. Tweet at me uh, throughout the week with anything, any comments you have on the Popcorn Talk Network or any uh, suggestions you have that you would like us to start doing. You can also tweet at the Popcorn Talk. And, yeah, check out all our other shows. There you go. And Movie Anatomy for Anatomy of Movies specifically. Thank you guys for joining us. As mentioned, we'll be doing plenty of movies in the in the coming weeks. Uh, Mark Duncan may join on a few of them. Stephen Lemieux may join on a few of them. Uh, the last one I believe we did was The Revenant. Obviously a very popular movie, so if you finally caught up on that one, check out our anatomy of it. See you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.